Open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 13. Open barring 15. Zumbrudo, 15. Clautelo. Nichi, nichishona. What? Zakazarura. Zarura. Akris, nichi clautelo nichishona. Revelation chapter 13 this evening. And in Revelation 13, we see, we see a return to the future. Because in chapter 12, I told you at the beginning of chapter 12, but I don't think I did a very good job of pacing in the last lecture. In chapter 12, what was largely missing? The Lord Jesus, you don't have his name, you don't have the cross, you don't have the second coming, you have really a woman being attacked by a dragon and running in terror. And she, every time she keeps, she she manages to stay alive, but she's under great pressure the entire time. Story ends. That's why I say, those who say that's the high point of the story missed the point. This is part A. That's the beginning. Wait until chapter 19 when the man-child comes back. Because he comes back and he can pack heat the second time. When he comes back the second time, he will have armies with him. And those armies will deal out to the dragon all he can take and more. So this chapter 12 is not the high point. Chapter 12 is a vital teaching about the nature of the spiritual war. It's a vital explanation of the important place of the Jewish people. And what's been happening to them and where they will be at right here during these seven years of the tribulation. But it is not the high point of the story. And the message of chapter 12 as we closed last time with is this. We must live our lives as if we are in a spiritual war because that is what is in front of us. And if you love God, Satan will hate you. And his hatred of you will take the form of trying to destroy you spiritually. Not as the prosperity gospel says, I try to destroy your money. The great danger is spiritual destruction. And so in chapter 13... We have a complete change of focus. And we're going to see the beast that comes out of the sea. This beast is the theme of chapter 13. You'll find him in verse 1. He's there again in verse 2, if you want to underline all of these references. He's there in verse 4, three times. He's in verse 11. That's another beast. And then you see the word beast in verse 12, twice. The word beast, twice in verse 14. Twice in verse 15. Then again in verse 17 and verse 18. This chapter is dominated with 14 usages of the word beast. And it is this beast that we want to understand. We want to understand 
Who is the beast and what is the beast? So let's begin in verse 1. I stood in the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. There again we have these images. Verse 1, the beast, the heads, the horns, the crowns. But we know this. The horns and the crowns are pictures of political power. Write this in the margin of your Bibles or in your notes. Daniel 7, verse 17. And again, verse 24. So Daniel chapter 7 and verse 17 and verse 24. In those two verses, in Daniel chapter 7, we have four beasts that are explained. And in Daniel 7, he tells us the first beast is the kingdom of Babylon. The second beast is the kingdom of Persia. The third beast is the kingdom of Greece. And the fourth beast is the kingdom of Rome. And in that, in Daniel chapter 7, verse 17, and again in verse 24, he says, The horns are kings. And he tells us very clearly, when you see the horns, you know you're dealing with kings. When you see the crowns, you know you're dealing with government powers. That's Daniel chapter 7. So Daniel's going to tell us what these mean. In Romans chapter 13, the Bible is clear. Obey the government. If you want to learn about the government, where would you go in the New Testament? Romans chapter 13. I just read a good book by John MacArthur called Why Government Can't Save You. And in that book, he dealt with Romans 13. And can you guess what he told us to do from Romans 13? He told us to obey the government. But for some reason, he did not deal with Revelation 13, which tells us that not only must we obey the government, but what is the nature of the government? Many times, it is a violent, carnivorous, evil, and dangerous beast. This is not only in Revelation 13. In Daniel 7, I just told you there were four different beasts. One is like a leopard. One is like a bear. In Daniel chapter 8, these beasts are two rams fighting each other and trying to crush each other. Here it's a beast, a dreadful beast, and there's going to be a second one. So in verse 1, when you see the seven heads, the ten horns, and the ten crowns, you know that this is political power. Throughout this chapter, you will find other references to political power. Notice those as we come to them. Because as we describe the beast, there are two great marks of the beast in chapter 13. When we get to chapters 17 and 18, there will be three great marks of the beast. The first two plus a third one added on. Did you follow that? In Revelation 13, the beast is marked by two characteristics. The first characteristic is political power. That's verse 1, and you'll see it again and again. The second great characteristic is also in verse 1. On his head, he has the name of what? 
What is blasphemy? Blasphemy is insulting the divine being. When you insult, mock, deride God himself, you have committed the sin of blasphemy. And this beast, he wears blasphemy proudly. He's glad to do it. He's not hiding it at all. Verse 2. The beast which I saw was like a leopard. Are leopards calm or are they vicious? They're dangerous. His feet were the feet of a bear. Are bears gentle and cuddly? His mouth is the mouth of a lion. What do we learn from these pictures except that he is a terror? And you learn these are the same animals that were used back in Daniel chapter 7. So this beast is going to have all of their ferocity. Plus, notice where he gets his power from. Where does he get his power from? Did you see this though? The beast must be given power. He has to receive it. The dragon stands in a position of giving and the beast stands in the position of receiving. He gives the power and seat and authority. Those are the political terms I told you about. You see, there it is again. Those are political terms. Verse 1, we have horns and crowns. Here we have power and authority. Verse 3, I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. Wow, there's so much in this. Notice, first of all, that one of the kings was killed. A mortal wound. But suddenly, the wound is healed. So everyone thinks that they can do miracles. What does that remind you of? Can you think of another time when someone was killed and then he was healed? And when our Lord said in John chapter 12, if I am 12, if I am lifted up on the cross, I will draw all men to me. Here, when the beast is wounded, all the world wonders. This again is one of those universal references. Do you remember back from chapter 1? The preterist view. The view that says 80 or 90% of this book is when? In the past. What's their strongest argument? I'm coming soon. But we said, well, how do you answer that? Well, look at all the references to the whole world. Because in AD 70, where did all these things happen in AD 70? Right here. Just here. Did South Africa know about the things in AD 70? Word never reached them. The Shonas were clueless. Did, did right here, right here in Russia, look at my finger on Russia, did, did Russia know what was happening in AD 70? Never heard about it. So if these things are happening, as the preterist will say, the beast, that's Nero. Well, what about this deadly wound? Well, maybe you got, a, maybe you got the cold. Maybe he got an early version of COVID and then healed. Well, who found out about it? What does it say in verse, in verse uh, 3? All the world wondered after the beast. And what will the preterist say? 
Well, when it says all the world, it means all the known world. Look, look here. Is that all the world? That's not all the world. It's not even all of this map. So when the preterist says, I'm coming soon, and they stand on that word soon, you can say, hey, that's a good point on the word soon. But I'm going to stand on the word all the world. How many times is the word soon? Four times. How many times does it say all the world? Many, many, many times. So if you've got a count, you can say, well, I've got more than you, so I must be right. All the world wondered after the beast. What does the word wonder mean in verse 3? Revelation 12, verse 3. All the world wondered. They were amazed. Well, look at verse 4. It tells us. What happens in verse 4? What's the verb in verse 4? They worship. Ah, the wondering of verse 3 and the worship of verse 4 are connected. That's what I told you the two streams were. The beast is marked by two characteristics. Number one, a political power. And number two, a religious motivation. It's religion and politics. And the beast brings them together. The beast says, I want to rule the world and I want to control what you do on Sunday. Verse 4, they worshipped the dragon, which gave power to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Making war is an instrument of governments. There's another term for political power. Did you notice almost every time, I thought you would be interested in this, Takato, almost every time it mentions the dragon or the beast in connection, it mentions the dragon gave the power to the beast. We're going to come to that in just a moment, why that's significant. Look in verse 4, verse 5. There was given to him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given to him to continue 42 months. That 42 months is the same thing that we saw last week. How many years? Three and a half years. Last week, I had you mark down every reference to three and a half years. I hope you did that in chapter 11. Some people are very confused about these, these markings of time. If you didn't mark this down last week, how many of you were not here last week? If you're not here, don't be afraid. Okay, then mark this down. Three and a half years is found under three Titles, either 1,260 days or 42 months or time times half a time. There's three different ways this phrase, this time period is used, but it's only found in five chapters of the Bible. Here are all five. Revelation 11, 12, and 13. There's three right there. Revelation 11, 12, and 13. Three of the chapters that mention the three and a half years. And then Daniel 7 and Daniel 12. That's it. You've got all of them in the whole Bible. Just remember Daniel and Revelation. Daniel 7 and 12. And then Revelation 11, 12, and 13. And you've got all the references to those three and a half years. And the three and a half years are listed in three different ways. Days, months, or times, which we take to be years. And almost all the commentators take to be years as well. So all the commentators agree, or almost all the commentators agree, that three and a half 
here means three and a half years. And here it is again, where the beast has power for 42 months. We understand this to be the seven years of the tribulation, broken into two sections of three and a half. So in the first three and a half years, the beast does not exercise very much power. But in chapter 13 and verse 1, we begin the second three and a half years. So in the first three and a half years of the tribulation, things are bad, but not as bad as they will be. But three and a half and three and a half makes what? Seven. And you'll notice back in chapter 12 that the woman went into the wilderness for how long? In chapter 12, verse 6. 1,260, that's three and a half years. And then she was hidden for how long in verse 14? A time, time, and half a time. Time, times, and half a time. There's another three and a half. Three and a half and three and a half makes seven. Probably Revelation 12 pictures the entire time period of the tribulation. And Revelation chapter 13 comes in the middle of the tribulation. When the Bible says it goes from being tribulation to great tribulation. Matthew chapter 24 says in verse 21, For at that time there will be great tribulation, such as was not from the beginning of the world, no, nor this, nor, no, nor ever shall be. And what begins this great tribulation? I'm giving you a lot of facts here. You can mark down whatever you like. This is all from Daniel 24. In Daniel 24, it says, They will make the abomination which makes desolate. The abomination which makes desolate is from Daniel chapter 11. In Daniel 11, a wicked king of Greece named Antiochus Epiphanes came into the temple of the Jews about 500 years before our Lord was born. And when he came into the temple, he offered a pig, which is an unclean animal, on the altar to defile the temple. That is known as the abomination of desolation. And it's prophesied here again, because in Revelation and in Matthew, that abomination of desolation already happened long ago. There is coming a time in the future when again, another great abomination of desolation will happen. And that will be after the first three and a half years and before the second three and a half years. That will be right in the middle point of the tribulation. And that will mark the beginning of the great tribulation. That's when this beast comes to power. That's why it says in verse number five, he receives power for 42 months. The reason it's only 42 months is because at the end of 42 months, we have Revelation chapter 19. Go with me quickly to Revelation 19. Revelation 19 verse 20. Well, just to get the context, look at verse 11. Revelation 19 verse 11. Revelation 19:11 And I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and the man child from chapter 12 sat upon him and he was called faithful and true and in righteousness he does judge and make war his eyes were as a flame of fire on his head were many crowns he has a name written that no man knew but he himself he was clothed with a garment dipped in blood his name is called the word of god and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses fine and clean, clothed in white linen, fine and clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he would smite the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. 
And he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Now skip down to verse 20. We'll start at verse 19. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he had deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who had worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. The beast and the false prophet are thrown where? At the end of the 42 months that we just read about in chapter 13. From chapter 13 to chapter 19, we have 42 months or three and a half years. And during that three and a half years of intense tribulation on the earth, that is during the time when the beast will come to power. And at the end of those 42 months, Jesus will return on a white horse with all the armies of heaven. And they will grab that beast and the false prophet and they will throw him into the fire. Go back to chapter 13 and verse 6. He opens his mouth in blasphemy against God. He hates God. I told you it's religious. He blasphemes his name and his tabernacle and all those who dwell in heaven. Just pause right here. Notice that who all does the beast blaspheme? Not only God, but who else? All those who dwell in heaven means the Christians who have gone before and the holy angels. In 2 Peter chapter 2, one of the marks of a false teacher is that he speaks about holy things that he does not understand. That's one of the marks. You want to know how to tell a false teacher? He's going to make jokes like, shut up devil. He doesn't understand how powerful the devil is. And he wastes his time talking to the devil rather than talking to God about the devil. That's a mark of a false prophet. But interestingly, in 2 Peter chapter 2, just a few verses later, it says, not only does he speak about holy things that he doesn't understand, it says, he slanders the glorious majesties, plural. Well, one glorious majesty is who? God. Another glorious majesty are the angels. Another terrifying majesty would be the devil. I'm not going to... That's why Jude says, I'm not even going to... Michael the archangel won't even say a word against him. A mark of a false teacher is they speak about things they don't understand. And then when they do talk about angels and God, they mock them. That's exactly what this beast does. And false teachers are learning from him. Look in verse 7. It was given to him. Notice, it's always given to the beast. It was given to him to make war with who? Ah, now we're focusing on believers. It was given to him to make war with the saints and to conquer them. Do you see that? I would like to hear some prosperity preacher preach on that. The conquering there simply means... The conquering there simply means physical conquering. The beast will be able to conquer Christians physically. He will be able to take their lives and kill them. 
But in Luke chapter 17, it says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father. This is Jesus Christ speaking. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. A few verses later, he says, And they will persecute you, but not a hair of your head will be harmed. How can it be that they're going to kill you? They're going to kill some of you, but not a hair will be harmed. Oh, he means all they're going to do is touch your body. That's just a door into heaven where you get a better body and you get to see the real life. Our problem is we have transferred everything to this life and said, this life is the great reality. It's not. It's the beginning. It's the doorway. The beast will have power to overcome in that regard. When 1 John chapter 4 says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. When 1 John chapter 5 said, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. When Jesus says, do not be afraid because I have overcome the world. He's speaking spiritually. Just remember, when Jesus says, do not be afraid, I have overcome the world. What happened to him 12 hours later? He was put on a cross 12 hours later. That's in the upper room discourse that we've just begun last Sunday, two Sundays ago. Lord willing, we'll go on it again this, this coming Lord's Day. Jesus says, don't be afraid, all of you. I've conquered the world. 12 hours from then, he's going to be on a cross. You see, if you're a true believer, you know the conquering that matters is the conquering of sin and the victory to gain heaven. And you can ask yourself in your heart right now, do I believe that? Because, if I have got that, I've gotten everything. If your heart says that, then you might be a believer. You might just be a Christian. Because this beast conquers their physical bodies. He overcomes them. Look what else he does. He overcomes them. Power is given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. All. Was power given, over, given to Nero over all? All kindreds? Look at verse 8. Oh, and, and notice that it says, because this is what they'll say. The preterist will say, oh, and I told you this verse before. Colossians 1 says the gospel was preached in all the world. See? Colossians 1, the gospel was preached in all the world. And the, the explanation of Colossians 1 is this. All the known world to Paul at the time, Paul, uh, he had preached the gospel. And they say, see, in Colossians 1 it means this little spot. In Colossians 1, all the known world was right here. So why can't it be that now in AD 70? Well, because look at the text. In Colossians 1, it says all the world. What does it say here? All kindreds and all what? People. People and all what? Tongues. Tongues. Tribes. There's all those words so you would realize, no, 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 no. This is not local. This is universal. Same thing in the next verse. Look at verse 8. All who dwell on the earth. That language cannot be local. How many people? In verse 8, all that dwell on the earth will worship him. Oh, worship, I told you, the beast has two characteristics. One is political, one is religious. He, they will worship him. Those whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. 
Oh, there's so much more in this, but our time is running. Let's go quickly. Verse 11. I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon. This is a second beast. We just saw him in Revelation 19, and it was, he was called the false prophet there in verse 20. Revelation 19, verse 20, was called, he said he grabbed the beast and the false prophet. Look what the false prophet does here in verse 12. This beast, this second beast, he exercises all the power of the first beast before him, causes the earth and those who are on the earth to worship who? The first Can you think of any parallels here where someone causes people to worship someone else? Verse 13, he does great wonders so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. He deceives those who dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had the power to do. And I love to tell prosperity preachers, did you know that Satan can do miracles? That's one of the verses. Right there, Satan can do miracles. If people tell me we're having a miracle crusade, I ask them, oh, are you doing them in the power of Satan or the power of God? And they're, what, what are you, the power of God? Well, are you sure? Because Satan does do miracles. And you need to check to make sure where these miracles are coming from. Because the whole world's going to be tricked about Satan right here. Verse 14. He does these miracles in sight of the beast. Saying to those who dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast. Which had the wound by the sword and lived. And he had power to give life to the image of the beast. So that the idol of the beast would both speak. And cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. The kingdoms of this world naturally set themselves against God. Did you hear that? The governments of the world naturally oppose God. Satan loves fascism. Do you know what fascism is? I've taught you before in this class. What is fascism? Worshipping the government. You are worshiping something when you give it more honor than it deserves. The government deserves respect and it deserves obedience. But it deserves a certain kind of respect and no more. Do you see what this beast is doing? He's got horns. He's got crowns. He rules the world. He can make war. He can kill people and he can keep them alive. And he also wants worship. Governments want all your attention and all your respect. And you have to be careful to give them this much and no more. Right over here is the biography of Dingani. Second king of the Zulus. In this it describes how Dingani. Had to have everyone's head below his. I was speaking with someone recently who said. Dingani had to murder the Afrikaners from Piet Ritiev. 150 years ago. Because in the picture that's painted, you see Dingani sitting here signing the, the peace treaty. And all of the Boers are standing up, so their heads are above Dingani. But all of the Zulu warriors are below Dingani. I don't know, I haven't seen the picture. I'm just, that was what someone told me. And he said, because those Afrikaners were standing at attention, their heads were above him as he sat to sign. And so when he saw that their heads were above him, he was so filled with anger that he had to murder them all. The answer, whether that's true or not, that doesn't matter. The point is this. He did kill them 
because he was the king. And he thought he had authority over life and death. And he's not the first or the last. It's happened all through history in all the governments. Governments always think they have the power to do more than they should. They always think they have the power to tell you how to live and what to do with your money and how much of it, their, your money you need to give to them. And the message of Revelation 13 is governments can be evil, dangerous, deadly beasts. Satan does not care what religion you are as long as you are not worshiping the one true God. And then I want to draw your attention to this. We're almost done. Satan deceives by imitation. How many, how many false gods do we now have in Revelation chapter 13? In verse 1, how many do we have? Chapter 13, verse 1. One. There's one. What's his name? Beast. In verse 2, we have another. What's his name? The dragon. And who gives power to who? The dragon gives to the? the beast. And who do they worship? Look at verse... Uh, look at verse 4. They worship the dragon. And then in verse 4, who do they worship? They worship the beast, flip over. In verse 12, who do they worship? They worship the beast, the first beast in verse 12. In verse 8, who do they worship? The beast. In verse 15, they have to worship the image of the beast. So how many divine beings do we have in this chapter? We have the dragon and... And the dragon is always giving power to the beast. And who's killed and comes back to life? Chapter 13, verse 3. Who's killed and comes back to life? The beast. But then we have another one in verse 11. I beheld what? Another beast. How many does that make now? The dragon and the beast and another beast. How many does that make total? And in Revelation chapter 19, what did they call that other beast? A false prophet. Revelation 19 verse 20. We just read it. And Jesus will come back and grab the beast and grab the false prophet and throw them in the lake of fire. We have the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. What does the dragon do? He gives power to? And the beast dies and comes back to life. What does the false prophet do? In verse, in verse 12, he gets everyone to worship who? The beast. What is the parallel? With the Trinity. The Holy Spirit causes everyone to worship who? Christ. Jesus Christ. The Father gives power and authority to? Christ. The Son. The Son dies and comes back to life. All kindreds and tongues and people and nation have to worship the Son. This is an unholy trinity. Satan deceives by imitation. Here in this country, we have false churches who are not churches. And they deceive because they pick up a Bible. They say, oh, we're Christians. But we don't have any discernment to realize, no, they're not Christian. You must not follow the name. You must look into the substance of the things. 
I am a Baptist, but don't go to a church that says Baptist. Find out what they believe. Find out what they teach. I would a thousand times rather go to a church with a name different from mine if it taught the truth rather than go to a church with a name the same as mine, but it doesn't teach the truth. And I will tell you what I have found when I'm evangelizing out there among the Tsongas. Most people care nothing about what is taught at the church. Only thing is, oh, I'm with the AFM. Oh, what do they teach? What, uh, they, 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 they teach the Bible, the Bible. Well, what do they teach in the Bible? Yeah, like they teach, they teach about, about God. Satan can do that. We must learn to be discerning so that we understand what is being taught. Satan deceives by imitation. And the fools will be caught. Matthew chapter 24 warns us, if it were possible, even the elect would be deceived. We need to be very cautious and discerning and studying our Bibles. And the final mention, we've got to mention this, verses 16, 17, and 18, we'll be done. Verse 16, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark. Either where or where? Where are the two places? In the head or the the forehead or the hand. Verse 17, no one can buy or sell. That's the third mark. I said we'll see that a lot when we get to chapter 17 and 18. Economic. Here, the beast only has political power and religious power. In Revelation 17 and 18, at the end of the tribulation, he's going to have political power, religious power, and he's going to have power over what you buy. He's going to control your money. That comes at the end. We'll see that when we get to chapter 17 and 18. Here, the beast, this future powerful government... Right now, there are some pictures that we can apply to our government and to other governments. There will be some day when we will see the real beast, not the toy that is now in power. Today, it's it's a little kitten. It will be the lion someday. But I I want to close with explaining this mark of the beast because so many people badly misunderstand it. And it really is a wonderful passage of scripture about which we should preach. Have you ever heard a full sermon on this? I, if you have, it's probably been a bad sermon by a bad preacher, so I won't ask more about it. Good preachers don't preach on this passage, and they should. No man would be able to buy or sell unless he has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Verse 18 here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding count the number of the beast because it is the number of a man. His number is 666, 666. The point behind this mark is you don't have to say 666, so that's the mark of a demon. It's not. It's the mark of a man. Why are you worshiping someone who's a creature like you? Why would you give such prominence to a creature like you? Your brother told me a number of years ago that once while he was at church, they decided to have Pastor Appreciation Sunday where everyone had to come and bow in front of the woman pastor and throw money at her feet. Why would you do that? She's got 666 on her. She's just a woman. She's just a person. What are you doing that for? Find the one with 777 and bow to him. Why are you bowing in front of a person? Anyone who's merely a created being. There is one who is uncreated, Bow in front of that one, which is what brings us to the main point. 
no one can ever accidentally worship the beast. You don't accidentally deny Jesus. No true Christian can take that mark because no, no true Christian can worship the beast. Taking the mark is connected with worshiping and submitting to the beast. It is connected with bowing to the beast. You cannot do that if you are deliberately worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. But it is possible. This is why I say this should be preached in our churches. It is possible to be a false Christian and to take the mark of the beast because you never strived to enter at the narrow gate. You prayed a prayer once. You went to church. You sang, hallelujah, hallelujah. Yeah, and you went out of church. Yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And you never examined yourself. As 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, examine yourself. Look deep into your soul and you be certain that you are a believer. Because if you're not certain, this almost deceives the elect. And the elect have the Holy Spirit in them. It almost tricks someone who has the Holy Spirit. You have no hope unless you have the Holy Spirit. If even the elect are barely saved, as the book of Job says, by the skin of their teeth, if only, even the elect will be barely saved from this deception, then what makes you think, what makes you think I will be saved? Brothers and sisters, let us get our noses in the book. Let us have our lives obeying the commandments so that it will not be questionable. Am I one of Christ's? Make your calling and election sure. Because if you do that, you will never fall. And that's, the, that's what we need to preach on this. It's not possible for a Christian to take that mark. So don't worry about it. I'm not worried at all about taking the mark. I'm worried about one thing. Am I a true believer? Am I bearing the fruit of the Spirit? That's what we should be worrying about. Not, oh, if I get the vaccine, what the va that's rubbish. Take the vaccine if you want. Don't take the vaccine if you don't want. Some people say credit cards. Use a credit card. Oh, they're going to implant a chip in you. What? You're insane. No one goes to hell because they were tricked and someone put a chip in them or something. Someone told me that they put the swabs for tests for COVID in your nose and they're implanting a chip. Do they really talk this way? This is so foolish. No one goes to hell because someone put a Q-tip, uh, an earbud in your nose. You go to hell because you haven't made your calling and election sure. You go to hell because you don't read your Bible. You go to hell because you're living with a girl and you say, I'm a Christian, and you haven't paid a little ball, you haven't married her. You go to hell because you don't fight with your sin and you don't even care. You go to hell because you don't love Christ more than your own life. You, don't, you go to hell because if no one was in the room and there was 20 million rand on the table and Jesus Christ here saying, choose, you can have that and then you can pretend to be a good Christian but you don't have true Christianity or you can take me and live in a shack. Which one will it be? And in the moment of decision with no eyes on you but your own heart watching, you take the money. That's the person who's going to take the mark of the beast. And that's what we need to be laboring for. What a passage of scripture. And this is all a future prophecy. But the application is for us today. We haven't reached the time in history where they're actually doing these marks yet. But it will come. I don't know when. I don't know how. But I know this. Even before it comes, 
If we do not make our calling and election sure, we will be deceived. Let's close in prayer. How we thank you for the word of God, Lord Jesus. And how we pray that you would have mercy on us and save us from our sins. And how we pray that you would give us wisdom to understand the times and to fear God and not to be deceived. In Jesus' name, amen.